This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This week's episode of a uh, very weather-addled edition of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball, as we both come to you yet again from New York City and also yet again uh, not in the same room. I'm Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is the uh, the other fellow in the uh, city that houses MLB.com and MILB.com. And as of yesterday, a lot of rainwater. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. Yeah, once again, um, this is not by design that we are in the same city, and yet we are not together. We did hang out last week. We did. We did. Like, we're not letting this opportunity pass us by. Right. You should not really even be in my city anymore. I shouldn't. I tried to kick you out. I shouldn't. You did. You did try to get rid of me. Um, but yeah, the uh, the torrential insanity of rain and wind and all of that uh, from the remnants of Hurricane Ida uh, kept me stranded here. So I'm, uh, you know, stuck now on the on the Upper East Side of my aunt's apartment until we're recording this on Thursday the 2nd. I'll be here until Saturday, uh, but I'll be avoiding you the whole time because you tried to kick me out and I didn't leave. And then because you're staying here longer, I'm bouncing to Massachusetts tomorrow. Oh, okay. So you're just, you just threw in the towel. You're like, no, 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 I'm done. We can't be in the same state for longer than one week. Couldn't get rid of this dude. If you're not going to be the one to leave, I have to leave. (laughs) Uh, Well, it has certainly been a very uh, interesting few hours for, uh, for all of us. A couple of days, I guess I should say. But um, the most important thing is. Uh, hopefully everybody is, is safe. If you're in areas, whether it's on the Gulf coast or, uh, you know, up through the Southeast and Eastern States and into the Northeast. Now, um, hopefully you have, uh, been able to make it through the last few days, uh, unscathed or as relatively unscathed as possible. And, uh, of course, if you're out West, we hope you're doing okay with wildfires and, and all that type of stuff. And, uh, as is our purview, on this minor league baseball podcast. We'll try to give you some things to smile about as we dive in here on this week's edition of the show before the show. Um, Because of uh, the weather and all the craziness, a little bit different format. We're kind of going retro style today. We'll kick this show off with three strikes. uh, And then Sam Dykstra and Benjamin Hill will uh, get us through this week's interview segment. And we'll talk some business of baseball. We'll talk some on-field stuff and uh, have a big old pile of fun as we always do. Um, Before we get started on this week's episode, though, get in touch with us if you would like. We've got the last few weeks of the minor league season coming up. And we know there are a lot of questions out there about formats and postseason and all that type of stuff. Uh, So if you do have questions about all those things, get in touch, podcast at MILB.com. Find us wherever you found us for this episode and everywhere else, uh, as they say on uh, one of my favorite podcasts, wherever great podcasts are downloaded, uh, you can find this, the show before the show, and leave us a rating and review and a subscription and all those fun things. And uh, with that, let's get started. Three strikes for this week's edition of the show, and we're kicking it off on the final, really now three-week stretch, less than three-week stretch, uh, a sprint to the end of the regular season. Two weeks from Sunday, the minor league baseball regular season wraps up a few weeks uh, later than usual. Ordinarily, we'd be talking about this coming Monday as the final day of the regular season of minor league baseball with Labor Day, but late start to the season uh, and now getting things finished off on September 19th. But 
even though at the start of the season, we thought we're not going to see postseason play and, and all of that. Now, of course, we are going to see playoffs uh, across minor league baseball. But here what we are to discuss in strike one in this week's episode of the show before the show are the guys who are standing out in this final push toward the end of the season. We are seeing some really impressive, impressive prospect performances talked about some of those guys on last week's episode. But Sam, right now, uh, finger on the pulse of who is impressing you most as we get into these final three weeks. Yeah, so there there are a couple names that uh, stand out here that just have done really, really well uh, in the last 30 days or so, one of which is, is Nick Gonzalez uh, of the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, the number four prospect there, playing right now at High A Greensboro. Um, you, coming out of New Mexico State like he did, which is a very hitter-friendly environment, a lot of people question, like, is he going to ever hit for much power? Was that just basically because he was playing at a, at a great altitude and, um, you know, playing it as part of his environment there in college? He's really turned it on here in the second half in the Pirate system. He has 10 homers in his last 30 days. Uh, he's got an OPS of 1.168, batting average of 359, 20 total uh, extra base hits in that time. So he's really answering the right questions. Now, you know, a lot of his peers, college age guys have probably moved on from high A at this point. Um, so we might hold him up against that for that purpose, but still first full season, there's nothing you can do better than end on a strong note, answer some of these questions. So Nick Gonzalez is certainly doing that. Speaking of Knicks uh, who were first round picks last year, Nick York in the Red Sox system. A lot of people questioned that, uh, why the Red Sox were taking him last year. He's a second base only prospect that's continued into the pros. The Red Sox consistently said, Hey, if he had a full 2020 season, a lot of you would be talking about him as a first round talent. We saw that early. We believe in the bat. We think he, he, he can hit at the pro level. Um, we're not worried about his rankings elsewhere. A lot of other people saw him at the second round, maybe even the third round at the highest. Uh, they decided to take him in the first round last year. And now he's really showing why they did that. They've already bumped him up uh, from low A to high A. Hasn't really made a difference in his last 30 days. He's got a 429 batting average. He's slugging 813, an OPS of 1.322. He has 16 extra base hits, which is notable because he only has 15 strikeouts in that span. Uh, So Nick York, again, because he is second base only, it is up the middle. That is good. That is, I won't say a premium position, but it is a position of note for sure. Um, if you can be good defensively at second base, that can cover over some other issues. For him, it's all about the bat. He needs to hit to really show his value, and he is doing that now, um, now that he's moved up from low A uh, Salem to high A Greenville. That's that's certainly notable to me. Um, he's playing his way into top 100 consideration, which is crazy to think about given his draft status last year. Uh, one more I'm going to throw out real quick is Joey Weimer of the Milwaukee Brewers system. Uh, he was somebody I'm in charge of the Milwaukee Brewers rankings. I'll say that right out just so everybody knows uh, Brewers fans. If you have a problem with the rankings, you know where to find me on Twitter, uh, but feel pretty good about where things landed uh, in this current Brewers top 30 and talking to people in the Brewers organization. One thing they said is he's a hacker. He's just going to go up there and swing for the trees. And right now it's working and we have no reason to tell him to stop doing that. Um, so in his last 30 days, he has 11 home runs, which I believe is the most among ranked prospects in that span. Um, he's, he is going to strike out a decent clip. He's struck out 22% of the time, but he's another guy moved from low A to high A, hasn't skipped a beat, another OPS above 1.3, another slugging percentage above 800. Uh, he's somebody who we have to really consider now as an even better prospect in that brewer system. It's not a stellar brewer system, but it is a little deeper than you might think. 
Uh, but with somebody like Weimer, you know, a, a draft pick from last year, some questions about how the power was going to play. He's answering them a lot right now and the way he's been able to carry that bat from low A to high A. So if you're not paying attention to him now, pay it to, make sure you're paying attention to him in the final weeks of the season uh, and give him some thought going into the offseason. One of the things we discuss uh, every season going into the season is where we think various guys are going to finish in statistical categories. And we did that uh, in 2021 and for strike two this week, there are a lot of really interesting stat races as this season gets closer and closer to closing, especially uh, on the home run side. I know there are three Kansas city Royals prospects all in the same lineup uh, with AAA Omaha right now and that organization who I believe are two, three, four in the minor league home run race. Sam, what else uh, stats wise, first of all, give us a, a little bit of a breakdown in that Homer race uh, and what else in the stat races are you keeping an eye on? Yeah. And, and you mentioned the home runs there. So we'll start with that. Griffin Conine has 35 MJ Melendez has 34. Those guys are one, two. What I love about that race is both of their dads are coaches at Florida international university. Uh, Merville Melendez, is the head coach, Jeff Conine, former Mr. Marlin, uh, is the associate head coach. So these guys know each other well. They, I think MJ Melendez has even joked, like, we're going to work out a ton together in the offseason. So the fact that they are playing for the minor league home run lead is fascinating to me. Uh, there's some real bragging rights on the line there. You mentioned some of the other competitors there. I think it's really just going to come down to those two. But if you are talking about Royals hitters and potentially leading all of the minor leagues in a category, let me throw out extra base hits. And what the uh, the leaderboard looks like for that, Bobby Witt Jr. leads all minor leaguers in extra base hits with 60. Fellow Royals prospect Vinny Pascantino is at 58. Nick Prado's at 58. Anthony Volpe at 57. And Elvis Martinez at 55. Those are some big names. Those are four out of five of those guys are top 100 prospects. Three out of five of them are Royals prospects. Um, so that's certainly something to watch. I know extra base hits isn't typically something we talk about it at the major league level, but I like to look at it at the minors because for a lot of these guys, power it doesn't necessarily show up in home runs yet. But if you look at who's going to lead a league or the entire minor leagues even in extra base hits, it can tell us a little bit about whose power is burgeoning and who's going to turn potentially those doubles and triples into home runs someday. Um, and the fact that Bobby Wood Jr. is at the top of this list right now is fascinating to me. One thing we should note here is the AAA final stretch, which is a two-week tournament of sorts. We've talked about it previously on the show. I'm sure we'll preview it when we get closer. Uh, it's kind of just like an extra thing that they tacked on to the end of the season. You might remember that AAA was actually sparked, supposed to start before the other minor leagues. That didn't work out because of the COVID pandemic, but they tacked on two extra weeks uh, for the AAA final stretch. Those games will count statistically as regular season games. So some of these races, your MJ Melendez going up against Griffin Conine for the home run race, Melendez might have a leg up because he gets two extra weeks, assuming he's still with Omaha at the end of September and early October. This extra base hits race as well. Bobby Wood Jr. is at AAA. Nick Prado is at AAA. Pascantino, Volpe, and Martinez are not. Uh, so, you know, if you want to keep an eye on that race, just know that Prado and Wood Jr. might have a little extra time to push back against their uh fellow contenders as well one other one i want to throw out real quick is the strikeout race uh right now i think there are three contenders in that one ryan murphy versus cade cavalli versus carson ragsdale murphy's at 156 cavalli's at 154 and ragsdale's at 150 uh that's noteworthy because that's two giants prospects and murphy and ragsdale and uh, cavalli as we know is, is a top prospect in the national system a top 100 prospect he would be a huge headliner if he can 
nail that down. He is at AAA now as well. He's got been pushed there, but his first start with Rochester didn't quite go up to plan. He only lasted three innings, gave up five earned runs, and struck out three. Uh, Murphy and Ragsdale are both at high A and low A, respectively, in that giant system. So while they may not get that extra time, they're not playing as difficult competition as Cavalli will be. So that'll be fascinating to see how that all plays itself out. I've got a story up now on MLB Pipeline, breaking down some of the key statistical races with a few weeks left, but those are three specifically I wanted to highlight. And that brings us to strike three, which is uh, a guy who we have discussed uh, throughout the course of this season, and that is the top prospect in the Kansas City Royals organization and number three overall in all of baseball, the shortstop Bobby Wood Jr. His season this year, has been uh, absurd. Uh, Bobby Wood Jr., who was drafted and, of course, had only played one season prior to this year. He played in 2019 after uh, being the second overall selection in the draft that year. But he only played in 37 games uh, in the then Arizona League uh, prior to the 2020 season, of course, being canceled to the minor league level um, and now being back on an everyday playing context. His numbers at the start of the season with AA Northwest Arkansas were fantastic. He's been better since moving up to AAA Omaha, and combined uh, this season, he's been outstanding. He's got 28 home runs. He's driven in 85 runs. Uh, his batting average and his slugging percentage are higher in AAA than they were in AA. The on-base percentage is very slightly lower. Uh, Bobby Wood Jr. has been fantastic. We talked about him before the season started as being a guy who potentially was going to get a look with the Royals as of opening day. And now, obviously, that didn't happen, and we've seen him just crush the minor leagues the season. Sam, will we see Bobby Wood Jr.? We talked last week about the changes uh, to roster expansion rules here in 2021. Will we see Bobby Wood Jr. with the Royals at some point between now and the end of the Major League season? Yeah, just to run through those real quick uh, for anybody who didn't listen to last week's episode, roster expansion now is only 28 players. It is not anybody you can call up from the 40-man roster is very limited to 28. You can't have any more than that. You can't have any less than that either, so that's kind of nice that guaranteed that there are 28 major league jobs in every organization right now. Um, but because these rosters aren't expanding fully, we, we can't anticipate as many major league debuts per se, or just guys getting coming up to get a little bit of experience. There are so many factors that go to into this. If it was just Bobby Wood Jr. has played his way to the majors, I think we would sit here and say that's probably 75% that he's going to make his debut here in September. Um, just because the numbers have been so good and the reports at shortstop have been so good and he's given himself a little versatility by playing third base as well. Um, the power is what's really stuck out to me. I just said you know, a minute ago that he leads all of the minor leagues in extra base hits. I think that's only going to continue to go up as he gets older. Uh, he's only playing in his age 21 season already at the top level of the minors. But then you got to look at this doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? Like right now, the, the Royals are getting a solid season out of Nicky Lopez at shortstop. Um, do they want to move him over just to get Bobby Wood Jr. some time? Uh, Adalberto Mondesi has just come up. He's just gotten healthy, and, and I know a lot of Royals fans are excited to see him out there again, and it seems like he's doing some exciting things once more. Like, what are they going to do with him? How does he kind of fit into that puzzle? They may want to see, is he our shortstop? Is he going to be healthy enough to be our shortstop? Uh, many things to kind of figure in there. And then, of course, the, the – Conversation that always goes along with this is, you know, are the Royals going to start Bobby Wood Jr.'s service time clock? Now, they know he's a big piece of their organization going forward. They've known that since the day they signed him. Uh, if he looks major league ready and he's just crushing AAA pitching and not getting anything out of it, I do think that they would consider bringing him up 
to get his feet wet, to get that major league experience, because, you know, there, not enough can be said about getting to see the major leagues for the first time, getting around major leaguers for the first time, just knowing what to do on a day-to-day basis. That is worth something. Um, but, you know, because the rosters aren't as big as they once were, because they're, the playing time might not be there for Bobby Witt, I'm going to go – I'm going to go with there's a 20% chance. Um, even that feels a little bit high for somebody who's technically really only playing in their first full season. But if you were to look at – his stats at double A AA and triple A, you would probably say that's too low. Um, I would love to see it happen. I would love to see the, the Royals, you know, chuck service time aside and say, listen, our star of the future is ready now. Let's get him that time. Uh, but because of the how everything's going to shake out defensively and playing time wise and roster wise, I think it's going to be a little bit tough. And you might as well let him finish out the year strong at Omaha and carry that momentum in the offseason and, you know, try to figure things out in the spring. Um, so I'm at 20%. Tyler, what would you be at? Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Um, I think you make a really good point. We've talked with so many guys over the years of doing this podcast who've got, you know, brief call-ups to the show. And then we, once we saw them at the major league level later, uh, have heard about just what an impact it has on a career when you get just that first experience of, yeah, learning the routine of a, a major league day at the ballpark, being around the guys in the clubhouse, what that all feels like. But um, I do, you know, agree with your your overarching point. You look at somebody like Bobby Wood Jr. He is going to be a piece of that puzzle for so long, and he's only 21 years old right now. I think the Royals, like you said, the service time considerations and all of that play into it. Um, you look at a guy who's 21 doing the things that he's doing in AAA, let him finish off the season strong. I think that's probably what they're going to end up doing. Um, but that is a guy who goes in his spring training in 2022 is uh, one of, if not the most exciting prospect in baseball uh, in the way that he has the potential to impact the major league club right out of the gate uh, in 2022, maybe alongside somebody like Adley Rushman or Spencer Torkelson. But, um, you know, there are not a lot of guys with that same ceiling who you look at and think, okay, is he going to come out of the gate swinging uh, in 2022 and be able to seize a major league job? So yeah, probably not super likely at the end of 2021, uh, but nevertheless, a, a very exciting element for Royals fans uh, headed toward this offseason. One thing I want to mention actually real quick while we're talking about service time, because it has been in the news this week, yeah. is that the CBA is up. Right. And it, uh, according to reports, you know, both sides are throwing out ideas on how to get around the service time issue that's obviously bogged down baseball for a while now. One of the reports that came out was that maybe you instantly become a free agent at the age of 29 and a half. Now, I'm not going to get too much into that. Like, that's reports. The it's early negotiations, things get thrown out all the time. Um, but I wonder if the, if the Royals are thinking about that. Like, if service time gets completely blown up come February or whatever, you know, whenever these CBA negotiations are really wrapped up, why not bring them up now? If it's, if it's not going to matter. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Like, I don't know. I, I I'm really fascinated. I, I haven't talked to anybody about this. I don't have any inside info, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that affects things. Yeah, no, I think it's a, that's a very good point too. And that's going to be another really interesting element of this off season. Uh, maybe the most interesting element of this off season as it pertains to baseball in the 2020, 2022 season and all that is beyond it. And uh, that is three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show, Sam, you and Ben got a chance to do the the bulk of the work for the show this week while I was uh, driving around floodwaters and such earlier today. Uh, tell us about what's coming up in the, the next couple of segments. Yeah, so uh, Ben and I will be discussing here just a little bit. Uh, speaking of weather, that's obviously going to be a big theme of this week's show. But um, for anybody who tuned in last week, Ben d- wasn't able to make it to Somerset uh, because of weather last week. Uh, and now Somerset is back in the news. I don't know if everybody's seen, but 
their ballpark seems to have been under some floodwaters, which is unfortunate. Um, we'll see how things come out on the other end for them. But um, we're thinking all of them. And, and like Tyler said, thinking about everybody in the Gulf Coast and everybody on the West Coast with fires and all that. Um, but yeah, still lots to talk about with Ben in terms of his trip to Worcester, more stories coming out of Worcester, and then a very interesting bet, which leads us into our interview uh, of the week between Bowling Green and Charleston. So we'll get to that in a few segments. But first, here's me and Ben. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, continuing right along here on the show before the show podcast, uh, I am joined by Benjamin Hill. We are not in the same room uh, this week, which for reasons we will get into here in just a moment. Um, but Ben, you are joining me from the Joanne Weaver room at the MLB headquarters. I am at my own apartment here in Brooklyn. Uh, but how are you doing today? Doing well, Sam. Thanks. Yeah, the office is uh, very empty on this uh, Thursday early afternoon. Um, you know, I'm missing my colleagues and comrades uh, such as yourself, but it's okay. It's quiet. It's low key. And I can really concentrate. I'm sure get the best work of my life accomplished today, this afternoon. So that, that's a heck of a setup for this segment now. I, I feel like you just raised the bar on what we're, we have to talk about <laughs> here in the next 10, 15 minutes. But also we, we should note, um, I don't know if anybody's going to tell that you, you're going to sound a little different, but this is like the most tech savvy version of the podcast we've ever had because you're using like technology that's allowing me to zoom into the entire room. Like I'm on a TV set as I speak to you. You're coming through a speaker that's in the room. It's, I don't know, this feels very tech forward this week. Yeah, the future has arrived. There's not too many people in the office today, but those who are walking uh, down the corridor behind this conference room, if they glanced into this room, they would see a gigantic Sam Dykstra on a (laughs) projected on a big screen, uh, flat screen television. As I look up, at beaming benevolent Sam, it's Big Brother is watching, but in this case, it's, uh, it's Sam Dexter. I was going to say, uh, in a nod to that commercial all those years back, somebody's going to come through with a sledgehammer and just break my face. I, I feel like that's going to happen here in a moment. Uh, speaking of Big Brother, but anyways, let um, let's so get nice. into some some minor league news and also just news a- across the country right now. Uh, anybody who listened to the show in the past knows that you were supposed to head to Somerset. New Jersey to, to catch the double A affiliate of the Yankees last week. Unfortunately, weather didn't make that possible. Uh, you weren't able to go there last week. And then that was just a regular rainstorm that happens across the minor leagues all the time. But just as we're speaking here on Thursday, uh, Hurricane Ida turned into tropical storm Ida, turned into just kind of regular storm Ida, but one with torrential downpours. Uh, has hit most of the country, and a lot of minor league games were canceled or postponed this week, uh, including those in Somerset. Somerset's ballpark has been flooded, according to what we've seen on social media. Uh, a really tough time for them, a really tough time for a lot of people across this country, thinking about people here in New York City, people down in New Orleans, many of which still don't have power. Um, but yeah, just your reaction to seeing some of these videos coming in of, of what uh, the ballpark is like over there in Somerset and, uh, you know, what potentially you missed out on in not being able to go last week. 
Yeah, I mean, distressing to see uh, the Somerset Patriots, the double-A affiliate of the Yankees, uh, you know, in their first seasons, the double-A affiliate TD Bank ballpark. Um, you can see those images on social media, absolutely flooded. Um, yeah, and rain throughout, you know, New York City, New Jersey, uh, you know, Philadelphia area. Um, you know, I, I have family in the Philadelphia area who are sending me pictures who uh, went through tornado warnings and were hiding in closets last night. Um you know, the reason, Sam, you're not in the office today and a lot of people are in the office, you know, subway lines disrupted, a lot of people dealing with flooding and um, the Somerset Patriots in the, in the minor league baseball landscape, uh, massive ballpark flooding due to the rains yesterday. And um, I don't want to say it's ironic, but last Friday I was supposed to go there because I've never been there. It's uh, They were used to be an independent league, uh, independent uh, Atlantic League team and now they're double A Yankees affiliate. I was looking forward to visiting. But last Friday when I didn't decide not to visit, it was just run of the mill bad weather. They actually got the game in after a delay. But since it was not part of a larger trip, I just said, uh, well, you know, I don't want to go on a gray, rainy, rain delayed Friday night and you know, drive from New York City in the rain. But then cut to less than a week later and a uh, whole different kind of rain now. And um, I'll be interested to check in with them. Um, with the Somerset Patriots, their front office, and hopefully visit during their last homestand. But uh, I mean, the damage that park uh, must have sustained uh, last night with the remnants of Tropical Storm Ida and the torrential rain uh, is pretty severe. So we'll be checking in with them. Hopefully, I can still visit with them during their final homestand. Um, but it is, uh, you know, distressing to see uh, the extreme weather that you know we've been dealing with here in the Northeast. But you know, that pales in comparison in certain ways to other things that other areas of the country are dealing with. And uh, just as uh, weather in the country and the world is an increasingly big uh, news item, of course, uh, you know, such as the case in minor league baseball as well. Yeah. And, and you know, we mentioned a uh, place in New Jersey, New York and Pennsylvania. They're also thinking about people. I, I mentioned New Orleans here at the top of the segment, but also people in Alabama and Mississippi, which there are a lot of minor league fans down there. Um, you know, we're thinking about everybody that's been affected by this storm and multiple storms going back years now. Uh, and hopefully, you know, this podcast and minor league baseball at large can be a little bit of a distraction in the times ahead, but uh, hopefully everybody's safe and, um, you know, things are, things will get better here just around the corner. Uh, ben, just touching back on, on a recent story you did, we talked a little bit about Worcester in your trip to Worcester and Polar Park recently uh, leading up to that trip and then since that trip. But you did a story about one of the characters of not only Worcester, but he even has some experience with the Boston Red Sox. Um, there's a reason why he worked for the Worcester Red Sox now. It's because he's done a really good job with the Boston Red Sox now setting up a new history, but trying to acknowledge an old history as well in both Worcester, Pawtucket, so much of that history. It's Dr. Charles Steinberg. Um, what stood out from your conversation from him? It, it sounded like it was uh, very much an experience, and I mean that in a good way, but um, what stood out from that conversation? What can you tell us about Steinberg and his role now in Worcester? Yeah, well, I visited Worcester Polar Park, uh, you know, in the middle of August. And uh, yeah, my most recent story is about a discussion, an interview I had with the team president, Dr. Charles Steinberg. Um, you know, the Woosox, uh are owned by a, a group headed by Larry Lucchino, uh, of course, has a long history, had a long history with the Boston Red Sox, uh, CEO, executive pre uh, president, CEO. Uh, he worked with Dr. Charles Steinberg in Boston, and when Larry Lucchino and his ownership group bought the Woo Sox, uh, Dr. Charles Steinberg came on board. So now, you know, just about 45 miles from Boston, you have the Worcester Red Sox, the Woo Sox, um, 
they're obviously Boston's AAA affiliate, but often, you know, the people running the team and leading the team, you know, have deep connection to the Boston Red Sox as well. And so when I was there, uh, I, I stepped into Dr. Charles Steinberg, the team president, stepped into his office. And I was like, I'll interview him because, you know, he's had a long career in baseball. He's now the team president. And um, in a lot of ways, I would say it was maybe less an interview and more just that my presence was the reason for him to go on a spontaneous oration about his job and specifically preserving history at the ballpark and how you go about doing that and telling the story at the ballpark of Worcester baseball history, which goes back to the 19th century. I and mean, Worcester had a National League team in the 1880s for several seasons. The, the first perfect game in Major League Baseball history was pitched by a member of the Worcester Worcesters, was actually the name of the team, uh, Lee Richmond. So you have the history of Worcester, Massachusetts in baseball. You have the history of the Boston Red Sox baseball. You have the history of AAA baseball in Pawtucket. And then you just have baseball history in general. And you're trying to tell all these stories at the ballpark. And then on top of that, it is the first season in Woosox history. And I think a really interesting point that Dr. Steinberg was making is you have to be aware of history as it happens. I mean, that's kind of simple in a lot of cases when it's like, oh, this is our first game. This is the first hit, get the ball. But how do you know right away, recognize history and recognize the moments that make the season special get memorabilia, photos, and then tell the story throughout the ballpark. So that was the, the gist of our conversation, a really lively conversation. And I just thought it was an interesting concept to think about when um, you know, you're running a minor league baseball team, you have to be aware of the history. In, in a certain way, it reminded me, uh, you know, a couple months ago, we had uh, Bubba Hearn as a guest on the show. He, was the, he is the clubby for the Rocket City Trash Pandas, and we interviewed him about him attending the first Rocket City Trash Pandas game in Chattanooga and tracking the first Trash Pandas home run uh, in the woods of Chattanooga behind the ballpark. And I, I think there's this interesting element of especially a team in its debut season of how do you get that memorabilia? What do you do with it afterwards? How do you tell the story um, you know, in text and words and pictures? And how do you tie it into your city and team and organization and parent clubs, larger baseball history? So in a place as uh, rich in history and, and connections with the parent club as Worcester, how do you do that? And I think we only scratched the surface, but it was interesting to talk to Dr. Steinberg about that process, about the moments that make baseball special. And I'll tell you what, that, that man is just an evangelist for baseball in general. And he speaks uh, with something, a, a rapturous near ecstasy at times with just what the game means to people and how they can work to continue to make the game um, you know, America's game and the most exciting game. And, and a point he will hit on a lot is the sport that you most want to attend, um, despite where you might think it, baseball falls in the larger cultural context. Uh, the, the sport with the most games, the most reasons to go to a game and uh, the most history. And so, yeah, there's a lot to dig into there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there certainly is. And I, I really like that point of history is always being written. I think we've felt that in recent times more than ever, but um, it's important to acknowledge that not only just sit in nostalgia and look back, but also realize what's hap happening in front of you and what's constantly changing and how history books are constantly being written uh, for both good and bad, but uh, hopefully in Worcester's case, certainly for good. Uh, ben, this is our first podcast of September. I feel like we should acknowledge that in some way. It is the first 
uh, episode of the final month of minor league baseball. AAA will go a little bit into October, for, but for the most part, most minor league teams will be ending their 2021 seasons here in September. Uh, as we look at these final two, three weeks or so, is there anything either specific or just in general that you're looking forward to most uh, as teams get their, dare I say it, penultimate homestands in uh, here coming up? I don't know about anything specifically. It's, it's been a weird season for people who work in minor league baseball, for fans, for those of us who cover it. I, I do think, uh, you know, not to be too cynical about it, but there's an element of, you know, this has been in a lot of ways a season to get through. To have baseball return in 2021 was, of course, incredibly important after no minor league baseball at all in 2020. Um, so the this, this season has been a triumph in that way. But navigating the home stretch with, uh, yeah, with, a lot of extreme weather around the country uh, affecting a lot of teams with, uh, you know, the Delta variant and concerns about that. Um, you know, I think teams have been pretty hobbled in this season. And, and I think it's now just a thing of let's look towards 2022 and 2023 and uh, how things can get a lot better. But that said, you know, there's still weeks of baseball left and uh, some definitely some interesting promotions on the schedule. Um, so I'll be, you know, interested to talk about those and, and continue to cover those. Uh, you know, I think a real big one, uh, the Erie Seawolves uh, having a promotion tied into the movie, that thing you do, which took place in Erie. They're having, uh, it was going to be a full band reunion of the wonders at an Erie Seawolves game. I, I just read one of the guys, I can't remember which one couldn't make it due to some reason, but um, a huge, uh, that thing you do celebration in Erie, I think is indicative of the, sense, the extent that, you know, teams are still, going out there, you know, have some big guns promo wise, want to finish strong, but yeah, the larger overriding, I think sentiment is it's great. Minor league baseball was back this year. Also, it'll be kind of great when the season ends and we can all look forward with a greater sense of optimism to 2022 and beyond. For sure. For sure. Um, All right, Ben, well, let's transition now to our interview segment, uh, which we have just wrapped up minutes ago before we started this one. Uh, But we talked to Bowling Green's Leslie Martin uh, for one of the most unique interviews I think we've had yet on the show, which is crazy to think because we've been doing this a long time. Uh, But why did we talk to Bowling Green's Leslie Martin this week? Well, the Bowling Green Hot Rods, for whom Leslie works, are the high A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. The low A affiliate are the Charleston River Dogs. And both of those teams, Bowling Green and Charleston, uh, have been just spectacular on the field this season. Um, both are the best teams at their respective levels, you know, winning percentages around, you know, 700. You know, both of these teams are winning 70% of their games. So it became a friendly rivalry. Who's going to be the best team in the Tampa system? Is it going to be low A or high A? And uh, when both teams had 60 wins, Charleston approached Bowling Green and said, how about a bet? You know, we make a bet uh, about which team is going to get to 70 wins first. And finally, baseball, people always like a bet. And uh, Bowling Green took them up on it. And then the parameters were, well, someone in the front office, for whatever team gets to 70 wins first, then the losing team will get that team's logo as a tattoo. It sounds confusing, but it's really not. <laughs> not. <laughs> the end result is Leslie Martin, promotions manager for the Bowling Green Hot Rods 
because the Charleston River Dogs got to 70 wins first, she, a Bowling Green employee, now has a Charleston River Dogs tattoo because her team lost a bet. And uh, that's kind of crazy. You know, you're young. She's not too far out of college um, working in the front office for the Bowling Green Hot Rods. And she doesn't even make it through the season without getting a tattoo of another team. And that's what I love about minor league baseball. You can't predict that specifically, but uh, you get stories out of working in minor league baseball and you do things that in other industries, other fields would just seem crazy because the people listening to this right now um, do a wide variety of jobs, I'm sure, but probably can't envision a scenario where you make a bet with a rival company and end up getting a tattoo of that company because you lost the bet. But here we are. Here on the show before the show podcast, I, Ben Hill, and Sam Dykstra, co-hosting, as always, are joined by a very special guest, Leslie Martin, the promotions manager for the Bowling Green Hot Rods. Leslie, thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, every week we try to do a segment with an interesting guest telling an interesting story from minor league baseball. And this is a particularly interesting story. Leslie is in her first season in the front office of the Bowling Green Hot Rods and has just gotten a tattoo of another minor league team, the Charleston River Dogs. So kind of strange circumstance here, and it was all the result of losing a bet. So let's start at the beginning. How did this all come about, uh, ultimately resulting in you (laughs) losing a bet and getting a tattoo of a different minor league team? So from what I've been told, probably about two days before Charleston challenged us, they reached out to our broadcaster and kind of said like, hey, this is going to happen. We're going to shoot this out. And our broadcaster told our GM and he just thought on it for a couple of days and Charleston pushed out their video challenging us and saying that if they beat us to 70 wins, that or if we beat them to 70 wins, that they would get a Bowling Green Hot Rods logo tattooed or their graphic designer would um and I had no clue about any of this I was just sitting in my office doing some work one day and our general manager Eric Leach was walking around in the hallway kind of pacing back and forth outside of my door and I was like Eric is there something wrong and he comes in and sits down and we're sitting face to face and he just takes this deep breath and looks at me and goes how would you feel about getting a Charleston River Dogs tattoo potentially And I just kind of took a step back and I was like, I feel like you should probably give me a little bit more information here, Eric. Like, that's just a a real big shot in the dark there. Um, So he kind of told me that we'd been challenged on a race to 70 wins. um, And Charleston is our lower affiliate in the race system. So it's pretty cool that we're both kind of leading that pack and record and wins right now. So we were both at 60 wins when they sent that out. And then by the time we had accepted it, we were at 61 wins. Um, so it kind of, that's how it started at least. Yeah. So Bowling Green High Rods, high A affiliate of the Tampa Rays, Charleston River Dogs, low A affiliate, both teams with spectacular records, first place, best records in the league. So this was a friendly within the family rivalry. Uh, and then all of a sudden there was a bet there. Now. Oh, yeah. Why did Eric Leach, um, your boss, decide that if 
the Charleston River Dogs got to 70 wins first, why did he decide that you might make the best candidate uh, for getting a tattoo if the team lost? And, uh, you know, how did you process this? Like, why me? And I'm sure you could have said no, or at least I hope you could have. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely up to me. He gave me the choice. Um, but I'm the person in the front office that has other tattoos and that's pretty open with my tattoo. So I guess he figured that I'd be the one that would be most apt to say yes. Um, and I'm pretty laid back with them. I I do more fun tattoos and kind of just go with the flow. So it kind of just fit in with my other tattoos anyway. So I think that's how I was chosen at least. And then, like you said, when, when you guys officially agreed to this, you guys were at 61 wins, nine, nine away. Um, yes. How nervous were you getting over those next week to two weeks of like, <laughs> were you following more Charleston games than Bowling Green games at that point? Like, what was your thought process? I, the next stretch? I think that before this, I kept up with our games, but like if we were on the road, I never really like sat down and would fully listen to a full broadcast. If we had the night off, I would just check in on our game every now and then. But I spent those couple weeks listening to every inning of every game and watching Charleston's live feed on the first pitch app the whole night as well. Um, I think that the night that we accepted it, we went into extra innings and ended up walking it off. So that I kind of was just on the edge of my seat the entire time. Um, and then when we were shooting our video for uh, for us to kind of accept the challenge, Eric kind of dropped the information that Charleston was playing a doubleheader that week. So they had one more opportunity to get there than we did. And also their opponents were well under 500 and ours were well over 500. So they kind of had every higher elevation to kind of get there than we did. Um, but I didn't know that until after I'd already accepted the challenge. So we kind of still, I just went with it still, but I definitely sat on the edge of my seat and watched baseball a lot more intensely than I had the, the prior parts of the season. I was going to say, not that we're really encouraging tattoo bets, but if it's going to get people involved on a daily basis to this extent, oh, yeah. it's not a terrible idea. Um, so so you, we were talking a little bit before the show started of what the tattoo is, where it is. Just explain, you know, this is an audio medium. A lot of people aren't going to be able to see this. Yeah. But just explain when you went into the tattoo parlor, what you told them, what you wanted, and, and where you ended up getting. So I just, I kind of, I went online and I chose which Charleston logo I wanted. I had in my head that the whole time I was just going to get the dog with the bat in its mouth because I thought it looked cool and would end up being a pretty cool tattoo. So I printed it off to around the size I was hoping for. Um, and I was shooting for kind of like a 50 cent piece size just for kind of reference there. And I took it into the tattoo shop and uh, handed it to them and they're like, is there a story behind this? And I was just like, yeah, I, I lost a bet. I have to get another team's logo tattooed. And they were like, okay, cool, let's do it. So they kind of drew it. They told me I had to get it a little bit bigger than what I was in originally anticipating, but it's on the back of my arm. Um, and now it's there forever. And when people bring this up now, like, are you going to tell this story with pride? Are you going to come up with a Charleston story like background like oh I went there as a child like what, what are you going to tell people about this going forward and are you going to follow Charleston now even more closely considering they are literally part of your body 
Um, well, I think that I've always been a fan of Charleston. Um, it's definitely a place that I love visiting and I think that they do a great job with their front office down there. Um, but I'll probably just tell the story for what it is and just say my team lost a bet and I ended up with it. Um, probably if people understand the baseball side of it. Now, when I go tell my grandma, I might tell her that it's our bat dog turbo. Cause I feel like that'd be a lot easier for people who don't get it to understand. But right. if I'll probably just tell them the actual story, there's no shame. No shame. That's a good credo to have in the world of minor league baseball, for sure. And uh, this race really was neck and neck all the way along. Oh, yeah. And uh, I believe even at one point, both teams were tied at 69 and, you know, Twitter enjoyed those jokes. Oh, yeah. And at one point, did you ever start to think, you know, I just want to have this story if we lose, it's a good story. I kind of want to do it or right up till the end where you're just like, oh no, please, can I get a way out of this? What was your emotion? I mean, I think, I think the whole time I was more along the lines of, I would like to win it. Yes. I don't want our team to necessarily lose games, but the whole point of it is attention and having a story behind it. So if we would have won the bet, we would have lost the story. So I think that the whole point of it was for us to kind of push on social and get attention. So we did it and it's here. Um, I think that the night we lost the whole time I was kind of back and forth between do I want it? Do I not want it? And then we lost that night and I just kind of sat there and I was like, Oh my Lord, I, I do have to go get this tattoo. Like that's, that's actually happening. So I just had to take a moment and kind of like sit in shock. Um, but got over it and then went and got it the next day or not the next day, but the next day we had off from games. And now that it's there, it's a real thing. It's on your arm. Um, it is. Are you getting used to it or is it still this feeling of shock of just what, what have I done? Well, where it's at, I can't see it most of the time. So it's only if I look in a mirror and then sometimes it'll kind of throw me off guard. And I'm still at the point where I just kind of sit there and look at it in a mirror and I'm like, okay, what did I do? Um, how am I going to explain this one to my mom? Cause she still doesn't know. Um, so, uh, but it's there, uh, getting used to it. It's starting to heal now. I got it on Monday. So. The, the fact that your mom doesn't know, like, is there any, are you going <laughs> to tell her you were on this show? Like, is, are, is this going to be the way you She's tell your not- mom? She's not very tech savvy, so I don't think okay. she'll ever know unless I send her the links to anything. Gotcha. And at this point, I might just wait until I go home after the season and see if she notices. <laughs> um, sometimes it's easier to explain after than to try to tell people before. So. Gotcha. Fair enough. Well, well one I, I want to end on personally is something we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, which is the fact that you and the Charleston River Dogs are both now under the Rays umbrella, yes. both part of the Rays family now. So many of minor league bets, and really bets we hear across all sports, are between rivals. They're between teams that don't really like each other. Yeah. We've had people on the show talking about like Durham and Jacksonville or Syracuse and Rochester, local rivalries like that. Um, what does this do to kind of strengthen that bond as you get, you guys as a literal like family and farm system? Yeah, uh, I mean, I it, think... Yeah. I. 
I think that this year it's been a lot different just with all of the realignment in minor league baseball because obviously the River Dogs used to be under the Yankees umbrella. Um, and when they were under the Yankees umbrella, I worked in Pulaski. So it was kind of, we were under the same umbrella there. And now we've both changed to raise affiliates. So I think that it definitely helps kind of build that camaraderie because I think before that, a lot of teams had been with the same affiliate for quite a while. Um, so it kind of helps welcome Charleston into the Rays umbrella um, and kind of build that friendship between the front offices too. Um, and we're Charleston's thing through all of this was we kept stealing all of their players. Um, so we have a lot of the guys that started the bet kind of ended up here by the end of it. So it's kind of just, it's building the Rays family a little bit and definitely creating a bit of friendly competition and camaraderie there. And Leslie, yeah, I think, well, your tattoo illustrates this. And I found this throughout minor league baseball, that people who work in minor league baseball front offices, you know, are really committed to their jobs. It is yeah. certainly not the easiest industry to work in, in a lot of ways. So if you're working in minor league baseball, there's something about it that you kind of have to love. I mean, what's your take on, um, you know, working in minor league baseball, uh, you know, what you want to accomplish in this industry and uh, is getting a tattoo indicative of the level of intensity and commitment and, uh, you know, gung-ho spirit you, you bring to the job? I think so. I mean, I, I started in minor league baseball in 2018 in the Appalachian League. So that's def- that was kind of a different beast than any other team I've worked for, just being in rookie level. You have a lot more hands-on and everybody does everything when you're that low because I was in an office of seven people um, and now I'm in an office of 20. So it's kind of a lot different, but for me, it's knowing that when a kid walks into a ballpark and it might be his first, their first baseball game, that I might be able to give them the opportunity to find something that they truly love as much as I do. Um, And honestly, throughout the COVID pandemic, I worked in kind of a corporate setting and I just got bored. I think that with minor league baseball, the best part about it is if you don't want to sit on your at your computer at your desk the whole time, there's always something that you can go do outside or people that you can go talk to and help in other departments. And that's kind of the best part about it for me, at least. Well, Leslie, you lost the bet, but as you said, you won the story. So congrats on winning the story and, um, you know, going all in on a bet and <laughs> just uh, giving us something fun to talk about. And um, hopefully you won't get more minor league tattoos unless you really want them. And uh, thanks again for joining us on the show. Awesome. Thank you guys. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. You can read about one in the nonfiction section. The others belong to the realm of fantasy. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Walla Walla Whoopsies. 
B, the Petersburg Goobers. C, the Trenton Hardlucks. You may be gobsmacked, but the Goobers, B, were the saltiest team in the Virginia League in the 1910s. The Petersburg faithful had great taste, as the team from the banks of the Appomattox was emphatics about winning. <laughs> Taking titles in 1911 and 1913, and a half title in 1919, when their playoff series with Richmond was canceled on account of disagreeing owners. They debuted on the circuit in 1910, when the Portsmouth truckers overhauled and relocated to town. That inaugural Boogers team, or Goobers team, was not so impressive, finishing out the year 47 and 68 under the management of Jack Grimm, who'd made a name for himself in the Virginia League as skipper of the Lynchburg Shoemakers. No wonder his Goobers, lacking soul, finished on the bottom. <laughs> but the Goobers had both the Shoemakers and the Danville Red Sox underfoot, to say nothing of the rest of the league, in 1911 and a few seasons thereafter. But Goobers come and Goobers go, and the Goobers were gone with only a few weeks left in the 1921 season, moving to Tarboro, North Carolina. The Petersburg High School team got into Gooberdom with the moniker the following year, and it resurfaced briefly in the minors a couple seasons later. But as far as the biographers of glory go, the first half championship in 19 was the last go-round for the Goobers. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these crafty clubs swung the stick in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Brookline Ironworkers. B. The Bremerton Stitchers. See the Bassett Furniture Makers. Want to know the answer? Get technical and find out. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, has taken Greta Garbo out to a ball game, and she's calling for a substitution. <laughs> set to say goodbye on this week's episode of the show before the show but before we do the final three weeks of the minor league regular season and on pushing into october you can follow it all at milb.tv uh sam what are you watching on mild tv this week yeah so this week um i'm i'm gonna be real basic which sounds down like i'm down on this series i'm not i'm actually very excited on it but it's like the easy answer for me to pick here uh it's toledo at omaha that series was going to feature six top 100 prospects, and then Jackson Quarr got called up by the Royals as part of September roster expansion. Good for him. Happy for him. Actually had a solid start for the Royals in his return to Kansas City. Um, but there are five top 100 prospects now in that series. All of them are hitters. Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green on the Toledo side. Uh, many of the guys we've already talked about on the Omaha side in this show, Bobby Wood Jr., Nick Prado, and MJ Melendez. There can be a lot of offense uh, in this series, we've already seen a little bit of it. I know there was a game that went to extra innings and then it had to be picked up the next day because it went to curfew. Um, I, I wish these guys would just play the final three weeks against each other all year. That would be so much fun. Um, maybe extra innings getting decided by a home run derby like I saw in the Appalachian League. Just throwing out that out there. I think that would be exciting. But no matter where you turn in that series, you're going to see a top prospect. So make sure you tune in for Toledo at Omaha, especially if you're a Tigers or Royals fan. Um, I think the future is going to be bright for both of those organizations in the AS Central. And I'm sure come next year, we're going to see this matchup again at the major league level. So tune in now while you can in the minors. Uh, Tyler, what you got your eye on? 
they're still part of my brain that's like Toledo and Omaha. They can't, that's an international league team against right, a Pacific yeah. Coast League team. They can't play. Um, I'm going to uh, High A East and to Hudson Valley, New York, where the Hudson Valley Renegades will play host to the Brooklyn Cyclones. That is next week. So it's before we will talk to you next, but it is not this weekend. Uh, ordinarily, we give you recommendations for the upcoming weekend and such. Um, that one doesn't start until Tuesday the 7th. But uh, one of the guys to keep an eye on, Anthony Volpe uh, in the New York Yankees organization, the shortstop prospect uh, who has been so, so good for that Hudson Valley team. Uh, and of course, was the 30th overall selection in the 2019 Major League first year player draft. He only played a uh, Pulaski that year in rookie ball. Uh, he was a low A Tampa this year. Now he's with Hudson Valley. His numbers with Hudson Valley have been fantastic. And even though he's kind of tailed off this month, uh, he's got hits in all but six games so far this month. He's played 22. He's got hit, hits in 16, uh, including as of right now, a six game hitting streak. Uh, that team is is playing tonight. Um, and it's, it's a uh, start to the month of September, but he's been outstanding. Uh, and I saw some discussion uh, of him on Twitter last week in which I believe it was a quote from a scout who said uh, he's seen that Hudson Valley team a few times and Volpe's been the best player on the field more often than not. Um, there, he's going up against Brooklyn um, and that squad obviously has seen a ton of talent go through so far this year. Um, still has a lot of talent on that roster. Francisco Alvarez, uh, the guy who really stands out with Brooklyn. Uh, and so there are uh, prospect storylines galore in that Hudson Valley v. Brooklyn series and uh, Sam and I still have not made it to a, a Cyclones game together, but at some point, some point it's going to happen, even though this one's at, at Hudson Valley. So we wouldn't be able to, to make that trip quite as easily, but one of these summers, one of these summers. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> you're just going to hear a lot of screaming from the corner of Coney Island. And it's yeah. just like, Oh no, Tyler and Sam are here. <laughs> And it's going to be fun. Um, so that'll do it for this week's episode of the show. Before the show, thanks to, uh, to all of you for finding us and tuning in and checking it out and uh, get in touch again. Podcast at MILB.com. Sam is on Twitter at Sam Dykes or MILB. And I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, for Sam, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next week. Hey.